football, you just kind of everyone get in here. Let's get on this plane. He says, the defense stunk, the offense stunk, Matt and Chatham. All right, everyone get in here. Put your hands in. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Hurley edition. We are back. We are back from break. We spent the summer on the beach just relaxing not podcasting no we took a couple weeks off so thanks for coming back here checking it out that voice you heard to start this podcast was the voice of one mr matt chatham he played linebacker was a special teams ace in the nfl for eight years played for the patriots and jets won three super bowls an interesting guy now he's uh, all over the place in media you can see him on nesson he'll be on the the patriots preseason broadcasts on uh, wbz channel four through craft sports productions he'll be the sideline guy he, uh, he he has his own website. He's 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 always he's always commenting, and so I wanted to get a chance to talk to him because he is he's a very opinionated person, and and it's a it's it's an informed opinion usually. He he doesn't have much much patience for some of the uh, lesser intelligent football takes that are thrown around. So I always appreciate him uh, the way he weighs in the things he says. So he has been uh, an interesting guy to follow, and he was nice enough to take time to to talk to me. And uh, you know it was it was. A short on the shorter end of the podcast, just about a half hour. So we talked about you know the the journey of uh, he grew up in in Iowa to go to the University of South Dakota, where NFL stars are not exactly made, uh, but he he made it. You know it was a tough start. I wanted to know what it's like for for you know the the non stars to make it in the NFL, and then we got into his time with the Patriots and uh, you know his relationship with Bill Belichick, as you heard in that little sample, and you know just winning Super Bowls. You know he made he made the first and the last tackle of Super Bowl thirty eight. And uh, you know he's had quite the career, so I want to talk to him about that. Uh, we didn't we didn't get into the current day Patriots. We'll have to save that for another day. But you know, I you know talking about an interview is something that I just I don't find appealing. So get to the interview now, Matt Chatham. All right, joining me now via fancy technology from lands far away. We have a three-time Super Bowl champion. We have a writer. A sideline reporter, a TV analyst, a podcaster, a man, a jack of all trades, Matt Chatham. Matt, thanks for joining me today. Well, thank you, Michael. Great to be on with you. Uh, how was that intro? Is that fair? Missed a few things, I'm sure. I mean, you misrepresented me so poor. This is really going downhill already. This is uh, sort of a Brandon Marshall situation. I might get up at some point, but since we're not in the same room, when I get up and leave, I can't spill coffee on you. So it's gonna, that's true. Gonna but go you know, in time, in time. Um, so there's a lot I want to talk about, and a lot about you know current day things you're doing now, but. I always want to talk about, I mean, everyone always wants to talk to the quarterback and, and the wide receiver and things like that. But I want to talk to you because I was looking at your, how you got into the NFL. And I, and I think it's, yeah. it's sort of a, an insane series of events. I looked it up and you can correct me if any of this is wrong because the internet has been known to be wrong sometimes. But <laughs> you, you went undrafted in 99, yeah. signed with St. Louis in April of 99 released in june of 99 so i don't know what you did between april and june to you know lose your roster spot but obviously st louis didn't like yeah obviously uh but then after that season signed by st louis in february of 2000 and then waived again that august so you were employed twice by st louis without actually being on the team during the season what what is that life like for i imagine you were 22 23 years old trying to make it in the nfl trying to you know live trying to make a salary what what how do you how do you deal with that and and what do you do to you know make a paycheck and, and all that during those times right so this is this is 40 year old matt chatham uh condescending talking back at stupid 22 year old matt chatham <laughs> that's what this next segment's going to be because that's basically what i think is appropriate based upon you know what what i was doing and what i was thinking about at that time um i had uh 
I was, as you mentioned, an undrafted free agent from a Division II school at the time, University of South Dakota. It's now an FCS school, so the 1AA world. Uh, but at that time, I was, you know, like a top guy in, in the country at my position at a lower school level. But what does that mean? How does it translate? Does it even mean if you're an NFL player? Uh, that kind of thing. So I went into their version of the Senior Bowl. So Division Two at the time had something called the Snow Bowl, <laughs> which was held up at North Dakota State, where the, the big Fargo Dome, they've done uh, ESPN game day there before, game day there before, excuse me. It's, it's a really cool venue, actually, but it's where they held sort of the small college Senior Bowl kind of thing. Uh, they had sort of a, a, a concurrent combine kind of situation that was going on there for a lot of smaller school guys like myself that wouldn't get invited to the combine. Uh, and unfortunately, I had sort of a torn up MCL at that time. So I, I, I went in to that game, you know, with an outside possibility of being a drafted player. Uh, I, I think in part, and I, you know, it's something that I'm freely open about with a lot of my buddies are really good division, small school players as well. I knew my end at the time was, other than being proficient, at least at the level I played at, I was 6'4 and 250. You know, I'm a big guy. So basically I was prototype size yet playing at a smaller school. So that's right. kind of your nice little end to at least – you know, get teams to be quizzical about what this dude is, man. Maybe he could play up here kind of thing, right? But when I go into that game, I had a nice game, but I had a torn up MCL and I wasn't able to do a lot of a lot of the uh, the stuff you got to do. Go run a 40, you know, you know, all the all the testing stuff. So I'm, I'm as I became an NFL player, I was, you know, a mid four six, usually around four seven. So I could run pretty well for my size, but not being able to to illustrate that at a time when you're coming out from a small school, too many question marks, went through the draft, uh, got a couple calls in within the draft and later rounds, uh, Colts, Browns, Rams. Those are sort of the interested parties. And I, there was a moment there in the fifth and sixth round where I thought Cleveland was going to about, but was about to pull, pull the, pull the lever, but they did not. So then, you know, right as it goes cold, those three call and I had to make a decision. So at the time, uh, my agent, uh, basically the, the counsel that I got then was, and this is what a lot of dudes go through for right? you. Know, Michael, you and I both cover the Patriots. And this is uh, yeah, a situation that is going on perpetually sort of around the draft and even sort of throughout the summers as guys are trying to get gigs. But basically, you know, yes, the Patriots are monitoring you or yes, the Packers are monitoring you or the, the Falcons or whatever it may be. But for a lot of smaller guys, uh, smaller school guys or less heralded people coming in, you're it, it you know you're looking back in the mirror. Uh, you're you're evaluating them as well because you don't want to waste your time, right? You don't want to be one of these camp bodies. You know, ninety guys now, and there's you go to those practices. It's it's tough for you know uh, fifteen twenty guys out there. It's really hard to even get a rep, you know. And right. fortunately, when I was coming out in, in ninety nine, that wasn't the case. The rosters weren't nearly as big then. So, uh, and and St. Louis, much like New England, was one of the places in the NFL that really sort of hung their hat on the idea that they keep a lot of undrafted dudes. London Fletcher was a good one back in the day. Obviously, Kurt Warner um, becomes a big-time guy, a Hall of Famer just recently. But uh, So anyway, I, I was coming out and evaluating each of those three rosters and looking at sort of the Sam linebacker position and trying to figure out you know, kind of what I do now uh, with a lot less quality information at the time of what a guy makes, you know, where he's at in his contract, is it a possibility he's, you know, is there a vulnerability there at one of those outside linebacker spots? So uh, we had to make a quick call in a matter of hours uh, reviewing the rosters, and there was an unusual situation uh, with a guy named Leonard Little, um, who I, I arm raised here. I, I love Leonard. He's, he's a great dude, uh, but he got in a really bad spot years ago uh, as a young player in the league, and he got in a drunk driving accident, and a woman was right. killed. And this is, um, you know, he, he was in a really tough spot there, uh, something that's 
you know, it just, it's a tough spot. You know, we all know that, that Dante Stallworth had a similar situation as well. And this was the one that sort of preceded that. I think a lot of people may for, have forgotten about, but my thought, my agent thought at the time was that's the place, right? He's a Sam linebacker, comparable position, edge player kind of guy up in the air. Who knows? He could be gone for the season. We just don't know where that's going to go. Uh, so then you're looking at a couple of the backup guys and saying, Hey, there's a spot there to maybe make a, make the roster. So, uh, his punishment came down though early in that summer of 99. And it, I don't want to butcher this because I don't recall the history exactly, but I want to say they gave him like time served where he'd missed games at the end of the year when it had happened yeah. and, uh, had been suspended throughout the off seasons, I believe. And maybe you got a game or two at the beginning of the year, but it wasn't, it wasn't a huge suspension. So basically you learn that, Hey, this former first round pick stud players back on the team. So his veteran backup that's got the contract, he's probably there. And now you're the third string guy and, oh gosh, you're looking at a, a practice squad situation and that sucks, you know, cause you, you really wanted to make a roster. That's where my head was at. And I had opportunities at other places that as it fleshed out, wow, that would have been an easier, an easier route. So St. Louis was much different though than New England. They were very forthright with, Hey, this happened. Uh, you know, it's not like go through all four preseason games and maybe you'll make the team. Who knows, buddy? It was more, yeah, you're looking at probably a practice squad spot now. And yeah. I was like, man, you know, please release me. Let, let me go try to make a roster elsewhere. And they didn't want to. And I don't know. I don't blame them now from a business standpoint. You think a guy can play and uh, being on a practice squad means something that I didn't realize then. I thought it was taxi squad. I thought I was going to be holding the dummy for somebody you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, just, you know, not really actually in the NFL. So I had to make a call and I was a, you know, full ride guy in college and uh, I was, had not yet graduated and I had still could get my school in the fall and I could still, uh, you know, maintain my scholarship and finish out. And yeah. had I not gone back, it, it was in danger of losing that and having to pay for school. So I went to them and said, Hey, coach Vermeil, I want to talk to coach Vermeil and said, Hey, uh, you know, I really wish you released me because I, I can make other teams rosters. It's just a situation here where pretty obvious it's not going to happen. Um, and they didn't want to do it. So they do, they designate back then something called a, uh, reserved list left camp. I don't know if it's exactly called the same thing as that now, but so I finished school and, uh, and then all they do is they sign you back in December. It's sort of like a futures oh, contract okay. or whatever it is where basically they retain rights and the contract just pushes forward a year. It's as if that last summer never happened. Well, so then I went through my second NFL training camp and summer and all that. And then again, sort of that nerve wracking moment, I thought I had made the Rams roster. This is in 2000. Again, 99, they win the Super Bowl. So, hey, dummy, you, you went back to school. Cool for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Hey, I think I it worked think, out in the long run. Yeah, it worked out in the long run. Exactly. But so anyway, the, I go into that, that 2000 offseason and, you know, I'm kicking myself a little bit, especially as some of the guys that I knew who were practice squad guys, which so often happens in that 99 season, bumped up and down on the roster and played and inevitably played in Super Bowl. So I learned a lot there. Uh, clearly. Uh, but in the 2000 off season, I thought I had another great camp. Things went well. We actually got our playbooks, uh, at the end of sort of final cuts after the fourth preseason game. And I was issued mine for game week and had had a conversation with a position coach and believed I was good. Go home to your hotel in earth city. And Hey, I think we've made the team, but you know, hold your breath because we haven't gotten to Monday's practice and they'd already released a bunch of other bodies. Well, they had an issue with a, an injured uh, wide receiver. Uh, that was probably, you know, if I was, I must've been number 53 on the roster at that point. So uh, they were really concerned he wasn't going to play in the game and they felt like they needed to sign another wide receiver body. So they, they br brought one in and were trying to stash me and put me down a practice squad and bring me back up when that thing resolved and New England swept in and, and claimed me off waivers. So uh, my wife and I were crushed. She had actually entered school at Webster University to get her MBA there in downtown St. Louis. And I did not know where New England was. I just knew it was top right on the map somewhere. 
And next thing you know, I'm on a, I'm on an aeroplane and I'm heading up to play for the Patriots. And I played there on week one. So, uh, and then been there, for, you know, for six years from there. So yeah, it was a, it was a crazy little turn of events, but, uh, as you mentioned, it, it obviously worked out for the best. Yeah. And you, you get to new England and obviously start to establish yourself. And I think, you know, I'm still going by the, the transaction reports. It looks like you were, you know, placed on IR that season toward the, the middle of the year. And then even in 2001, now, correct me if I'm wrong here. It says you were you were waived, and then you were put in the practice squad, then you were put in the active roster, and that whole charade happened twice in the middle of the year? Yeah, I don't think that's accurate. It's, I think it must be okay. a Wikipedia, Wikipedia thing. So what, what often happens, uh, and this was at that time, um, I you know, you have an injury, right? You're a little banged up. And uh, I, I, I'll, I'll back up. In 2000, you're correct, midseason, uh, J.R. Redman, I, I, I tease him about this to this day. He's our running back. He was drafted there in 2000 from Arizona State. We're a good player, also a kick returner. But in a practice where I'm up front, I'm up front blocking for him, you know, uh, and he ran right at my back and kicked me in the back of the shit or in the back of my calf. And I nice. had a compartment, what do they call it? Compartment syndrome they were concerned about. My, my calf blew up to like twice the size. It was ridiculous. And I'm a guy just holding on by a string for a job there, obviously. And I actually went back out the next day, tried to practice, had that hard conversation with my special teams coach, Brad Seeley, about, man, you need to give it a go. You need to try, you know. And yeah. my calf was like a balloon. It was ridiculous. I couldn't, when I would walk, I couldn't get my heel to touch the ground. And I went out there with a cleat on and just kind of did this ridiculous limp for the first 15, 20 minutes until they were finally like, get out of here, <laughs> you know? Uh, so that, that ended up being, and that team was bad. We all know that the 2000 Patriots yep. was our five and 11 team. And uh, I, I don't, I did not have the leverage that I would have later as a vet to, or, you know, I guess standing on the team to let them wait two or three weeks for it to resolve and get drained and then go back out and play or even a week or whatever it would have been. So in those, at those times, and you see it now when a guy is basically, you know, 48 to 53 in that range, can't play this week, can't play next week. we got to get somebody else. You know, we still like, yeah, we'll hold your rights and we'll see what happens next year. That's right. so you get IR when you're in mid season, when I really felt like, you know, man, let me, let me get this thing right. Just give me a couple you know, give me a couple weeks. Yeah. But didn't, didn't happen. So that is what happened in 2000 and 01. I pulled a hamstring, but I played through it. And these things tend to happen where they think you're not going to be able to be up for a particular game. And it's just a yep. weekend transaction. Did my place with the team change? No, I just wasn't going to play in that. I wasn't going to be active in that particular game. So it, it shows on paper that I was on a practice squad. I mean, I did everything practicing with the team as I normally would have and would have played. But you do the preseason or the pregame or at least a day before kind of test to figure out if it's going to make it or not. So that happened a couple of times. But that's usually sort of the... The games, the, the the going on roster to to get up and get down, but it doesn't it didn't change my pay at the time. Scott Pioli was always great to me, you know. Sort of said, "Hey, this is just a this is a paper thing, you know. Nothing changes right. the or feeling on you." So, yeah, I mean, basically, once I arrived in two thousand, I had a spot, but my role and their comfort level with me, I think, had to take years to grow. Yeah, I just I wasn't sure if you were just still living that crazy uh, crazy life for further on, but it's good to know that you had settled down a little bit, and obviously. You know, you get the call from Belichick and, and or, you know, Belichick adds you in 2000. He wasn't quite yet Belichick at that point. I'm sure it wasn't, you know, this this uh, daunting phone call that people get these days. But you were obviously a part of that. The dynasty building, the three Super Bowls. And I feel like this is a question I have to ask. Like you made the tackle to end Super Bowl 38. And why is that not tattooed like right across your forehead? Like That would be <laughs> right on my face. Everyone would know when they saw me like, oh, that guy made the uh, Super Bowl ending tackle. 
Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's it's a it's a quirky little thing, and it's uh, we always get kind of a laugh out of it. You know, me and Izzo and Don Davis and uh, you know Patrick Pass and a lot of guys that made up that, that you know Gerard Cherry really really strong special teams units that we had back then. And you know, you if you watch some of the replays of this is the second Super Bowl in Houston against Carolina. Uh, was fortunate enough to have the opening kickoff of that game and then the end one too. And that's, you know, as a, as a as young player, that's, you know, it's not the same anymore. Now you see flash bulbs in a, in a touchback <laughs> on the opening right, kickoff. Right, right. But it used to be the thing, you know, it's right, yeah, yeah. just make that play when they're all flashing around you. And I was fortunate to make the opening one. And the way, the way that game ended was, uh, we all remember it. Adam kick kicks the big kick. And then you'll often see this sort of TV trick where they do a cutscene there, and then they show like Antoine Smith like high stepping onto the field, or you know, all the guys yeah. rushing the field and don't remember that there was actually right. a kickoff right after that. And it was a scary kickoff for this reason. There was enough time on the clock where had they pulled it out far enough, I you know, and it it's not that implausible that they could have, uh, because they had one of the best kick return units in the league. Uh, Steve mm-hmm. Smith, who was not yet Steve Smith, the the wide receiver, but was one of the da- most dangerous returners in football, yeah. uh, was back there, and he was back there with Rod Smart. Remember, he hate me from the XFL stuff. So it was the two of those, and 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 Steve Smith is really just a punt returner. I don't I don't think he returned kicks normally, and and Rod at that time was one of the top guys in the, in that that particular season for kick returns, uh, and they just you know they did the whole almost you know like like back in the day put Dion in to re- return the kick that might you know decide the game kind of thing. It was sort of like that. It was like oh shit. <laughs> they're putting Steve Smith back there too, so they've got two of the best guys. So it was a, yeah, it was it was a nerve wracking play, but uh, yeah, fortunately they made that tackle and remember laying on the ground celebrating and kind of whatever. And all the all the teams guys are down celebrating, thinking that's sort of the the, the epicenter of it, and everyone else is running the other. <laughs> right, <laughs> stuck at the bottom of the pile over there. So it was cool. They I mean, the grunt work. Yeah, 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 you know, grunt work exactly. It's story of my life. And how many questions have you got about nailing the streaker that day? Because I know, I mean, that that sort of lived, I feel like it got a second life this year for whatever reason, like a YouTube video came out and, you know, it was a, you know, I, I'm sure it wasn't a career highlight for you, but that was a pretty good hit you let on, laid on that naked dude. <laughs> Thank you. Well, let me do the back of napkin here, Michael. Uh, you asked <laughs> what number? I mean, good Lord, millions. No, I mean, it's, it's obviously one of the most often things I'm asked and a little funny antidote from that post game, you know, for what we just talked about, I had a pretty good special teams day. I had made a lot of plays, blocked really well. We had a nice day. I thought, you know, I thought it was a really, you know, I felt personally good. But other than that, I mean, obviously, way more important than that. You feel good that your team won. But that said, I came off ready to do post game interviews and talk about the whole game. And oh, geez, everyone just wanted to talk about the streaker thing. And I was like, oh, you guys saw that? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, you the eighty thousand people saw that, but yeah. no one at home did. But uh, the funny, the, the thing that has kind of always stuck with me is you you may remember the name. Paul Zimmerman, Dr. Z, back in the day. Yeah, of course. Old SI fame. Uh, Dr. Z comes in to me and, you know, he's kind of crotchety and he's, you know, he's, he's one of the more venerable guys in the whole industry as far as sports writers. And he comes over and, you know, after the whole rush has, has gone away of, you know, cameras and all that nonsense, talking about all the goofy stuff that happened in that game, he kind of walks up and sits with his pad next to me and he's just like, Matt, it really doesn't matter what you do the rest of your career. That's all anyone's going to remember. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I'm just like, whoa! I'm like, no, Paul, you're crazy. No, Doctor Z, uh, you know, I made a bunch of tackles, and I'm I'm good at football or whatever. And he's like, nah. <laughs> I mean, he was joking, but it was it was great. And, and you're right; it, it's just sort of the quirkiness of life and how how it works out. And to this day, you know, that's the that's the the trivia question with me, I guess. And I, yeah. I, I also have the first tackle in the history of Gillette. You know, I, I, oh really? 
opening tackle against the Steelers. I, there was going to be sort of a quirky antidote that people remembered. I'd rather it be that one, but it's that is not the case. Well, I will amplify that. We will try Thank to you. we will try to replace. Maybe I'll put a YouTube video out of that tackle if you have it, and we'll uh, <laughs> we'll try you. to make it happen. For sure. Um, so then, you know, you carve out a six-year career with the Patriots. I have to imagine Bill really loved you, not as much as he loved Larry Izzo, but maybe like close close to that level. Is that be, is that fair to was, say? Um, Bill, I think, loathed me with the you know <laughs> heat of the sun <laughs> for oh, okay. for a certain period. And, uh, I, I really have a, a lot and I mean, and we get along great now. And I mean, I think I, I have more respect for just about anyone walking the face of the earth now than maybe family members, uh, for, for coach Belichick, because he was hard on me and I could feel sort of the burn on the back of my neck, uh, at times where he was not pleased with me. Uh, one of the most infamous was, I want to say this was the 2000 season. Uh, it might've been one, but we played Denver out there. Uh, in what was the old Mile High, the old Mile High Stadium. So it hadn't switched over yet. So maybe that's a, a clue to which which year it was. But mm-hmm. anyhow, Drew was still quarterback. Um, and I I remember, you know, again, I, I thought I played okay. I, you know, I blocked really well. I'd done decent with my deep, my, my defensive reps. And uh, blocking was kind of always my thing on punt returns and kick returns and stuff, trying to dominate my guy. And I was kicking the crap out of my dude. And uh, unfortunately, I got a couple penalties. And, you know, he <laughs> and it was actually yeah I, I got two I believe and now one of them was this uh, long snapper named uh, Diaz Infante. Diaz Infante is a is a a play by play guy or I'm sorry he's a he's a color commentator guy for ESPN now in the same system I am I do ESPN News and three and stuff like that for college football Diaz Infante does it over on the West Coast uh, but he was the long snapper for Denver at the time and this used to be a thing where you could get away with this but a lot of the bit you know he's a big big uh, dude from the islands you know 300 pounder but that snaps and he snaps it runs down it's one of those sort of fair catch situations and the long mm-hmm. snappers jogging under it and looking up in the eye up in the sky at the ball and i just cleaned him you know <laughs> i mean it took a shot before the ball was there i thought technically you know you may think it's a little dirty but i didn't think it was illegal because i got there before the ball landed but uh, they didn't agree with me so i got a flag there and that hurts the team obviously you know how they they, they feel about those kind of things and then later right. in the day after i'd gotten that first one I was blocking my guy in punt return, and I was really kicking his ass. I had him tied up really good, and I maybe threw him down. I don't remember. I just I really had him tied up way away from the play, 30, 40 yards, and just had him dominate. I was pleased with what I did. I was going to jog off and get high fives from everyone, but then, oh, shit, crap, there's a there's a flag, you know, and I got I got a holding penalty there. So you can imagine special teams player that just has a, a, a minor role on defense at that time, two flags in a game that we lose in ugly fashion down there, and it was one of those – games where where, where uh, the, a lot of the organization traveled with the team, you know? It was like, you know, the plane was full with marketing staff and, and the crafts and some other family members and maybe clients or whatever, but it was a really packed locker room after the game. And I remember Coach Belichick comes up afterwards. This, this slide will never forget this. And uh, we walk up and, uh, you know, he's like, the defense stunk. He's first of all, he's just kind of everyone get in here. Let's get on this plane. He says the defense stunk, the offense stunk, and Matt and Chatham. All right, everyone get in here. Put your hands in. <laughs> We're getting on this plane and getting back to Foxborough. And that was it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you know. So yeah, I've got family there at the game. I'd bought tickets for some friends. A guy that was in my wedding that lived in Fort Collins in Denver area. They're all waiting outside. 
And I walk out ghost white. I'm like, dude, I think I'm done. (laughs) I think I just (laughs) got much sleep that night. I take it. Right. Exactly. So, you know, then I come back and, and to find out years later, uh, Rob Ryan, uh, was my position coach at the time. And Brad Seeley was my special teams coach who held me in high regard for that part of the game. Uh, those guys were always going to bat for me, Pepper Johnson, and they knew I was a little crazy. I liked to get in fights. And probably when I look at, you know, analyzing teams and guys are going to make rosters now, like I was maybe a little bit of a loose cannon, but sometimes special teams units need that. You just need one that's a little smarter than I was at the time. So I was kind of the meat, the enforcer on a lot of those things. And I had to learn sort of where the line was, but they went in and fought hard for me on staff meetings earlier that next week. And they would sort of jokingly tell me later that he wanted to be cut. (laughs) So, but it was something that years later we would, we would also talk about and say, man, you know, you, you, you fought through that adversity because trust me, blocking the next couple weeks, two, three weeks, you're terrified someone's going to throw a flag, but you got to do your job, right? You got to, you know, and right. I got to latch guys, tackle them, basically just really try to over physical guys on every play. And you're just terrified, you know, your butthole so tight, like that I'm going to get yeah. a flag. And that was rough. And, but I survived it. And, you know, then we sort of go into the next stage where he's, coach starts to think of you as a leader with the special teams and me and Larry and Don kind of and Cherry uh, kind of handling stuff and you feel like I gained more respect I think for for surviving a point where he probably hated my guts and rightfully so yeah well you know that's that's sort of how it goes but I, I you ended up moving on to the Jets uh Eric Mangini uh and and two things happened uh significant things happened during your time with the Jets so I'll let you pick which one you'd rather which which path you'd rather go <laughs> Obviously, Mangini, you know, called out the, uh, the, the cameras on the sideline and, and launched a thing that nobody thought would ever grow to what it was. Uh, so I was interested what it was like being, you know, on the other side of that, where, where you're on the Jets at that point, where basically everything you and your teammates accomplished basically came under question because of something that Mangini called out uh, publicly. Either that or, you know, Roger Goodell became commissioner at that time. And yeah. I, I'm wondering if there was any sort of inkling about how uh, about his intelligence level at that point in time. So I'll let you choose because I know uh, one of those is probably more preferable than the other. Wow, that's a tremendous list. Would you rather talk <laughs> about cake or pie? Like, how do I? How do I, how do I well, you like, could talk about both, really. I mean, I, who am I? All right. So, well, I'll be brief on both best I can. Anyway, I would just say with the the Spygate stuff, uh, I actually had uh, this is that was in 2007, I believe. So six, seven and eight is when I was there uh, with the Jets. And in six, I actually blew out a foot. I tore my sesamoid joint, which is a big toe on your on my left foot, just completely shredded it. Uh, But, you know, I came there as a new free agent was meant to be sort of from the Patriot system was going to help, you know, be a leader in the locker room, help NGD Institute a system, all that stuff. Uh, Kimo Van Ohoffen was another one. I hope I said his name, Kimo, my, uh, my buddy Kimo, and uh, and Tim Dwight, who had been here with us. But the point is, they brought in some veterans that we were really meant to be a part of that to try to help sort of this transition to a more patriot-like team wearing green. At least that was the thought. Uh, yeah. But at the time, so I shred that foot, and I just had this sort of you know weight that I felt that I, I think as a veteran older guy now, I never should have stepped on the field again with that. I should have had reconstructive surgery at the time. But what I did is, you know, I've been named a captain. You know, it's like I'm I'm excited to be in this new place. I I just played with it. I got I get it shot up constantly. We'd have it taped straight. I wore a zero flex shoe with a carbon fiber plate so that my, I had I, I ran flat footed for the season. I was in incredible pain. It sucked. But uh, I went through the whole 06 season like that. 
just gimping around the field, but still was able to play on it. Just it's sort of you become a veteran, you learn how to work with stuff. But as soon as that 06 seasons ended, I had to have surgery on this. It was major reconstructive on a foot, which isn't very typical. Um, no. And anyway, that that inevitably leads to my end of my career later, because after you have that, it's, you know, I, 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 I struggled through two years and then it was kind of it. Uh, but anyway, the reason that's relevant is because it was that op- that was opening game with the Jets Patriots where the Spygate stuff happened. And right. I, it was like a, it's like a serious, like ACL type stuff, like a nine month, full nine, maybe more rehab. And I okay. really hope to have been ready on opening day. I thought I was, they were too scared that it was going to pop. So they put me on the PUP. So I had to start that second season with the Jets on the sideline for the first month or whatever that is. So because of that, you know, you're veteran guy, captain or whatever, and you, you're there to sort of sideline coach and help the other linebackers and that kind of stuff. So I was wearing a polo and helping on the sideline during that game. So I was standing next to the coaching staff directly across from the cameras and with the Spygate stuff. So yeah, I absolutely saw it. Uh, It's just to me and you know, we've, we've had these conversations either online or off a hundred times on this, but it's the most asinine gate that there ever was. If I mean, I guess it's it, yeah. I right should say there. we all know about right the flake. Let's not get, let's not get right crazy. Here. <laughs> let's not get crazy here. But one yeah, one just, there you go. It's just you know, literally camera wrong spot. Not that camera is wrong, and it's that's always driven me nuts that people don't get that. That is if that is if this was some sort of covert operation. No, it's just he he wasn't supposed to be standing there. He's supposed to like move your arm a few degrees to the right. He's supposed to be standing over there. It's literally all that was. Right. Uh, but uh, there was a tussle, as I understood it, between security groups, between the two teams, and that drew the attention of the New York State Police, and then that drew the attention of media members. And then when media members get involved, then the story is going to go. And then to your to your point, Mangini made a statement or two publicly that was sort of beat your chest, stand up for the team you're with at that time. And yeah. that probably flamed the fires. That, that that absolutely did. But it was I think at the time when it initially happened, it was more, hey, just get him off of here. You know, just get him off of here. So that's not pointing directly at us. You know, so that's yeah. You know, but I don't I don't think the initial, hey, go get them. We got them with New Roger or something like that. It didn't start that way, yeah. but the the fire got out of control because of the little little tussle in the breezeway there the north end of the stadium but so on the other issue roger mm, now i mean i just i think the first thing i noticed was the the arrogance you know the whole sheriff comes to town the si cover thing and all that and i've got more stories than we have today for this pod but just of of just being a really dishonest human being other stories from other players interactions they'd have with them something that i had uh happen to me personally uh a story for another day. Here's a tease, Michael. Uh, sure, we'll do, I, we'll uh, do part two sometime. Exactly. Roger Goodell owes me about $34,000 personally. I, I can explain that another day. Uh, you but, should expense it. Send it down uh, to 345 Park Ave and see if they'll pay it. I will. They're good at paying former players. We know that. They love just handing out money to the guys Tremendous. that made the league. I, I have a $34,000 bill in, a, in an area that I won't speak of today, but that is directly attributed uh, an expense attributed to a lie that he told on television that I was directed by league office to listen to, to go then do something. So that's, that's, that's my heavy tease for that. But, uh, right. I've never told that story publicly, but, uh, I'll keep the details for another rainy day when we finally take Roger down. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be, that'll be a, quite the podcast. All right. We have very limited time, maybe two minutes. Uh, I just want to ask, you know, you get into media after, obviously you're very intelligent. Uh, you, you know, many words and you're able to put them in, 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 in order properly. Um, <laughs> Did you get into the media? And I know this is kind of a longer question, but maybe just a you know a brief one. Did you get in because you were frustrated by a lot of the coverage out there? It feels like that's sort of the message where you're like, well, actually, what everyone's saying is wrong, and here's a more realistic way to look at it. Is that is that fair to say that you were just sort of 
frustrated a little bit by the way that most things, uh, but the way common knowledge gets spread in football media? Oh, absolutely. I mean, but again, it wasn't my first move. My first move was actually to get away from football. I went to Babson, got an MBA. Uh, I was a pre-law student at, at USD. You know, I'm coming out of school in 1999. Uh, I, I was at applied to law schools, uh, some of the top ones in the country. I was looking at Emory in Atlanta, uh, UT Austin, uh, University of Minnesota, University of Iowa, near I was at my backup school. It's my home school at USD. But I'd taken LSATs. I was ready to go. You know, I was, I was, I was thinking I was going to law school if the the other thing didn't happen. So you got to the NFL after you know like tenth training camp and man, practicing didn't sound. You know, going into three years of school and then practice in law school sounded. Eh. You know, yeah. it's you, it's it, lawyers need that ten years while you're in your twenties to get to exactly. kind of work through all that stuff. Doing it in your you know late thirties wasn't as appealing. But so I went and got a two year MBA. I think I was trying to sort of head off. A lot of the issues that guys have in post-career where you try to get in some investment situations or do some crazy stuff and you get taken advantage of. So I figured, man, Babson College, number one entrepreneurial school in the country for years and years and years for, for MBA programs and uh, couldn't be better. It's right here at home. And I still have my condo from when I played with the Pat. So we moved back up here, uh, went to school there, and I got involved in some business stuff uh, that I still am and some good investment things that came through my opportunities there. But when I was at one of the one of my restaurant, well, my restaurant at the time, uh, Larry Lawson, who's up, uh, was my boss up at Nesson, kept coming down to my crepe place and uh, bugging me and telling me to come do segments on the air. And I'm like, man, you know, I just got back here. I was a jet for three years. So <laughs> do they want to hear from me, <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, and, uh, you that's know, I would the, do- that's where the face tattoo of you tackling Rod Smart would have come exactly. in handy. You know? No just, one cares about the wear, Jets. Exactly. Just wear your three rings. Just wear yeah. your three rings. You'll be fine. <laughs> you know? uh, but no, so that he was, he was, you know, trying hard to convince me. And Larry did eventually convince me. I think with one year where we were in the store at my restaurant there down in North Attleboro, we, I would do maybe a segment a week kind of thing, you know? Sure. And then after that, the next year they convinced me to do more and it just sort of expanded. I think it's, I've been there six years now, I think, but basically it became, it became, that became sort of my end. It's like, I'm going to do this, but I am not going to speak in cliches and do my best to not speak in cliches. I'm not here to make friends, uh, with people I don't respect. Uh, and I'm going to respect the hell of the ones that I do respect. And that's, that's been the kind of cool part of getting to know the media market here. There's a bunch of really great pros and there's other people whose takes that make me, you know, puke. So I'm just not going to acknowledge them or, or pay any attention or give them any, or share any air with them. So that's really sort of been my, my MO from the start. I mean, you, you have all this, this, you have all this perspective that grace of God that I was able to do something that some kid from South Dakota probably shouldn't have been able to do. You know, it yeah. was, it was really cool, uh, really cool experience that I had. And I felt extremely grateful to get it, but it is frustrating as a, as a current player and a former player, when you hear, you know, extremely long segments or columns or whatever that completely misrepresent everything that's actually going on or a game graded game thing the next morning, in the paper or radio or something, or they're grading yeah. film and it's just, asinine you know it's just like right. this stuff would be would be high comedy if they they flipped on the flipped on the screen or read the column while the, the game was playing or you know the film was playing in front of dante scarnecki or coach or something you know right. it's just that so i'm saying you know what hey there's an end for me I, I can just say hey not this is this is what's really going on and and you know there's an extreme appetite for people out there to to want to know what's really going on and i don't think i need to speak in cliches to to get a gig so that's been fun and that's kind of been my more my my angle for for wanting to do it so i can still keep a toe in all my other business interests and and do the media stuff as well enjoy it nice and i'm sure there's been more than a few times that something something stupid i said came across your way and so i thank you for still doing the <laughs> podcast with me despite that uh but you know we're doing our best uh so just so people know uh, you'll be you'll be on the sideline for all four patriots preseason games correct 
Yeah, so that's uh, sort of I've I've settled into a, basically my gig now is I do the four work with Rochi, so there's no yeah, that, exactly. that's not what you had in mind really when you left football. Like, you didn't know you have to work with Dan Roach. That's well, you actually I applied to Harvard, BC, and Babson, and I think on my application someday work with Dan Roach was was on there. Oh, okay, all right, <laughs> well, then, you know, it's jokes it, on me. Yeah, you know, <laughs> no, but no, I, that's I really like what I'm doing right now. I get to do those four preseason games with the team, and then when the regular season begins, and I transition to college, and I work for ESPN doing college football games. I'm typically uh, Syracuse or either BC or Temple or UMass or UConn, but all those are sort of light travel stuff, so I can continue right. to work through the week, work through the week at Nesson, and then do usually drive time games on Saturdays, uh, or you know you're there for 24 hours as opposed to the heavy travel if I were working somewhere else. But it just sort of works that I live where I live and I can knock out those, and then get back and cover cover the team for Nesson. And we obviously still do our craft sports production show, uh, Patriots this week that we've been doing for years with me and Zoe, and used to be Wiggy and now it's Bob Sochi, and we've uh, we enjoy it. So I've got a nice little mix of uh, of what keeps me busy. I enjoy it. Nice. Well, thank you. I know it's interesting. You know, the preseason is in many ways, you know, the busiest time of year. There's just the hours and the practices and everything. So I appreciate you carving out this time. Uh, anyone can follow you at Chatham58. That's probably the easiest way to follow you and all of your crazy ventures. Looking forward to the preseason. And, you know, thanks again for this time. There, I have a million questions I didn't get to ask, so we will have to do a part two at some point in Sounds our lives. That's good. That's the all, right. all right, Mike. Awesome. I love it. Take care, buddy. See you. Okay, there it is. Matt Chatham. Thank you for, uh, you know, it's a busy time. He had a run there, uh, so you could tell that we're in a bit of a time crunch. He had to go do some interviews for the old broadcast for the Patriots preseason games, which I wanted to get into. We didn't get to, those got to be hard. 90-man rosters for both teams. The third quarter, the fourth quarter, you ever watch those games? It gets a bit silly out there. So I wanted to talk about the challenges of that. We'll have to save that for another day. But, you know, you could probably tell that we weren't in the same room. The technology was not perfect, but was pretty darn good considering you know it's better than a phone call or something like that so that was uh, uh i was happy with the way that came out but there you go matt chatham uh if you want to you know follow him chatham 58 he's got uh everything he does there so thanks to him i appreciate it i like you know i always like the bill stories because it's it's the there's always you know the, the public to private bill that that is unknown and, and a lot of people always say oh well yeah he's actually a lot funnier than you might think and we know that by now so it's nice to hear the time he he, he cusses you out in front of the entire team and dozens of family members and executives and marketing assistants and things like that. So always good to hear that kind of stuff. But there you go. Hope you liked it. We are now back in full swing. I'm going to try to get these out every single week. It's uh, it's a challenge. I won't lie. It's a challenge getting a, a guest and, and booking it and finding a time and things like that. But, you know, I'm new at this. I appreciate you all uh, going on the, the learning journey with me through this. So if you're listening this far, obviously you're in and I appreciate it. You can follow uh, the Hurley, unders- Hurley underscore edition on Twitter. You can you know follow on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you find podcasts. And, of course, on the CBS Boston website, uh, just search the Hurley edition podcast and you will find so many links. It'll make your head spin. You will be following the Hurley edition on so many outlets. It'll hurt. It'll physically pain you, but it's worth it. Trust me. Okay, I'll shut up. Thank you. We'll be back next week. <laughs>